0: I want to take the opportunity to to introduce our speaker to you today. And I was thinking a little about Scotts and and one of the blessings of my life as as to be a friend of Scotts. And I was thinking about our how uh, when we first met maybe 17 years ago. Um, this kid would show up at some of my youth group events and and he was in my wife's uh, first uh, teaching class english class and she would come home with stories of of scott and his buddies and what they tried to Pull off in, 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 uh, in class. And then 12 years ago, when I came here, Scott and Lindsay, who he wasn't married to at that time, were students at LBC and they were volunteers here uh, with helping with students. And they were volunteers here for, for a long time and attended here until, until they got plugged in a church closer to where they lived. And, um, and now, you know, you think of all those things, Scott's just a friend. He is the dean of students at Lancaster Bible College. He has served there since graduating faithfully, him and Lindsay, uh, many, many years in a a variety of capacities. But Scott's just a really good friend who loves God, who I enjoy uh, meeting with and and just learning from and being encouraged by. And and I'm so excited that he gets to come and share uh, what God's laid on his heart this morning. So Scott, come and share with us this morning.
1: Good morning, everyone. I'm on. That's awesome. I uh, man, I've enjoyed worshiping with you already. This, this has been awesome. Uh, I would rather just turn it over to BJ to keep singing, and uh, and that's awesome. Um, Ray, I am balding and I am large. Okay, so I have prayed for years to be bolder and wiser, and I'm getting bolder and wider. Okay, <laughs> so so that's just it's just the way that things are happening. Okay, so. I mumble, so maybe the lord doesn't hear me as clear as he <laughs> as He needs to, but uh <clears throat> kids i uh <clears throat> I'm glad that He gave you that note sheet. Uh, I can remember filling out note sheets when I was a kid even before. I knew the Lord Jesus, and uh, having some of those note sheets, uh, and just going back and reading through some of that stuff of things that I didn't understand, and, and now things that God has led me to understand, and it's, uh, it's just awesome, so um, there's going to be parts of today that will probably be super boring, okay, um, and we're going to get there, and I'll tell you why, but, uh, but keep writing those things. Ask your parents what an awesome privilege it is to open God's word and to to learn in it. Show of hands, how many of you would have been like in the middle of that group and you would have changed the words on purpose? Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like first of all, bananas are better than biscuits. I don't even know. That's not true. Okay. Like let's, we want to make sure truth is preached from this pulpit. Okay. But, uh, uh, when I was a kid, I would have, Just very easily changed that to like the horse walks slowly at midnight, okay? So uh, that's just just the kind of person that I am. That's why I need Jesus so much, okay? So Jonathan asked me uh, when Jonathan and I kind of entertained the idea of me coming to speak, he told me that in June and July you all were going through the book of Colossians, and I was thrilled. Like, I love the book of Colossians. I was thrilled for you. I was thrilled for the opportunity for me to come and open up uh, the book of Colossians with you. And uh, so I, uh, you know, it's this book full of doctrine, just packed with just doctrine. It's bursting at the seams of how you and I have to live as redeemed and chosen people. And so I was excited. The supremacy of Christ, that Jesus is all. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That we're made alive in Christ, and through our heartfelt belief uh, in his sinless life, his gruesome death, and his wonderful resurrection, we have life. We are made new. We are no longer the old man. If I could recommend one, well, I could recommend a lot, but if I could recommend a, a chapter of scripture for you to dig into over the next year. Colossians 3 would be one of those chapters. Spend time in Colossians 3. This book is just rich. Paul's letter uh, to the Colossians. So Jonathan and I talked about me coming to speak, and he told me the verses I would be speaking on, Paul's final greeting. And I opened up my Bible in Colossians, and I read it, and I was like, that's just a list of people's names. How can you preach on that? Okay. How in the world am I going to make that into a a sermon? I'm a little, I was a little deflated reading through that and even frustration sometimes as I didn't know how to pronounce half of them. Okay. It's like this chapter is like the Deuteronomy of the New Testament. It's the one you skip over in your Bible reading plan, okay, or the one that you just endure through. Um, but as I read and I studied it, I, God gave me a, just this uh, excitement about what he's communicating through Paul about some men, some followers, you could say the body of believers around Paul that have lived the book of colossians these men are examples of what it looks like to understand the supremacy of Christ it's an inspired list of how the gospel transforms lives and how the supremacy of Christ transforms the body of believers so i want to invite you to turn to colossians 4 if you've got your copy of scripture pull it out colossians 4 Stay with me as we examine the lives of Paul's ministry team. Today is going to feel a whole lot more like a case study than it will a sermon. And so uh, so as we walk through this, uh, stay with me. We're going to examine the lives, what we know about these men that are mentioned here. But I want to pray for us first, and then we're going to read Colossians 4-7. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity we have to gather today. Thank you for so many in this church who have influenced my life. Thank you for, Lord, the way that you allowed my wife and I to serve here for many years. Lord, but thank you ultimately for your son who brings us all together. Lord, we are the body because uh, you are the head. And so, Lord, as we examine your word today, I pray that you give us clarity of thought I pray that you would allow us to look deep into the corners of our life to examine where it is, Lord, that we need to change, not because uh, we need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps or because we need to be better or because we need to earn anything from you, Lord, but because we have the awesome privilege to evidence the work that you've already done in our life. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So. Open up your copy of Scripture to Colossians 4, and as we read it, you might understand why I was a bit deflated at first, okay? If I mess up any names, you can take it up with me afterwards. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If, you, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice... And for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, and as does Demas, give, him, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and say to, Ar- to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you." You know, Paul had a great need for partners in ministry. He's now sitting in prison in Rome. His need for them was significant. His need for others was significant. Paul always had a need for others in ministry. We often put Paul on a pedestal, don't we? We think Paul is, the, is just, I just think he's the man, okay? He's the man. He's larger than life. He's a spiritual giant. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned, okay? He's just a character of amazing proportion, but he needed people. We think it was Paul alone, and it wasn't. MacArthur says the Apostle Paul has always been the kind of person who needed help from his friends. As great as he was, he could never do it alone, and, it's still, and that's still true. We can't do it alone. We have to have each other. So I want to spend some time this morning just working through this list of people and why it is important for us to know who they are. Sometimes we look in Scripture and... And we see things and we just kind of breeze past it or we skip over it. And um, I'm trying to slow down in the way that I read scripture. I'm trying to slow down and say, this is just as inspired as everything else in the book of Colossians. God wanted us to know this just as much as he wanted us to know about the supremacy of Christ. Why? Because it points to Jesus. So let's look at the first guy, Tychicus. <clears throat> I did not try to make this rhyme, okay? It just came out that way. But Tychicus is the fervent servant, okay? So it'll be, remember, it's, it'll be memorable. He's the, the fervent servant. He is just a servant. <clears throat> we read here, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage, and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus is mentioned five times in all of scripture, four of those times by Paul, and once in the book of Acts. Um, Not a ton is known about him. His name means fortunate, and uh, he was most likely a convert from Paul's ministry in Ephesus. He's rarely mentioned, but when he is, we get a glimpse of this servant the one who served his savior and was loyal to Paul he served god well as he served his brother Paul in acts 20 we read about him he is accompanying Paul back from uh, back to Jerusalem and as he's concluding his third missionary journey uh, now we see him with Paul as he writes this letter everywhere in between Tychicus is has made a life out of being kind of an interim pastor, so to speak. Actually, he's made a life out of being a mailman. He's delivering these letters to these churches. That was no small task. If Paul believed, which I 100% believe he did, that this was the inspired word of God that he was penning to these churches, that... um, delivering it and ensuring that it got there is no small task. Tychicus is that kind of servant. He's extraordinarily faithful. He's fervent for the gospel. He's serving Paul and serving Christ by strengthening the church through the word of the Lord. Here's what we see Paul say about him. He's a beloved brother. He's a faithful minister he's a fellow servant. So he's a beloved brother. Paul loves Tychicus because being transformed by the gospel of Christ, he's faithful, he's dependable, he's reliable, he is trustworthy. Trustworthy enough to carry those letters. He's a faithful minister. The Greek here means that he, uh, it's one who serves. He is a servant. And based on what comes next, I, I think what this really means is that he has served Paul well. He has served Paul very well, faithful servant. <clears throat> Paul's reminding his readers how Tychicus has served him and served them. He loves and serves the people of God. Then it says fellow servant. The word is sundulos, um, fellow Slave is the word. And this points to how Tychicus has subjected himself just like Paul under the authority of Jesus. Tychicus knows that he serves a faithful master. He is a fellow slave with Paul in the ministry of the gospel. So not only do they love him, but they not only do they love uh, Jesus, but They have subjected themselves to his authority in their lives. Jesus is their master, and they are his servants. Come what may. Come what may. Tychicus isn't like Luke. He's not a doctor or a gospel writer. Um, He's not like Paul, penning letters from prison for the encouragement of the church. Uh, We've got to realize the work God called him to is no less meaningful kiss the mailman is as meaningful in God's plan as Paul the writer. Say <clears> this: <throat> so, Sometimes we diminish our role in the church, and you may diminish your role in this church because you don't think you serve a big piece. You don't think that what you do matters much. <clears throat> And I remind you of Tychicus, the fervent servant, the man who did what it took to further the gospel. You can be a beloved brother or sister, of the person sitting next to you. You can be faithful to minister in this church and the church. You can serve in obscurity. Tychicus didn't write it, but he delivered it, and it was equally important. Serve your brothers and sisters here. Serve your brothers and sisters. Be trustworthy, be consistent, be someone to be relied on. You can subject yourself to the authority of Christ in your life. You can do that. You can be a fellow slave with those who sit just down the row from you under the authority of Jesus Christ as our master. You can do that. Paul doesn't say, I'm sending Tychicus because he's the man and he can speak to thousands and because he led half of Ephesus to Christ. He doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, no, I'm sending him to you because he's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. We can all do that. We can all be that. Here's the second one, Onesimus. He's, uh, he's the regenerate runaway. You know, uh, you know of Onesimus. He, uh, we know from the book of Philemon that uh, he was a slave, and uh, the unbelieving Onesimus had stolen from his master and headed to Rome. Uh, he was going to Rome to live it up. He no longer wanted to be under the authority of Philemon, and so he takes off even when there was a chance of being caught and being put to death, he, uh, he somehow believes it worth it to steal and head to Rome. And I love this because this is, how, uh, this is just God. This is how God works, okay? That um, he would end up in Rome meeting Paul, the very man who led Philemon to Christ. the one who Philemon owes the introductory, or the introduction to Jesus Christ. That's how God works. It's how God works. And through that, Onesimus is actually led to Christ himself. You can't make this stuff up. You just can't make it up, okay? They could probably make a movie about it that would... Be really bad, like all the other biblical movies they've tried to make lately, okay? But, but you, you really cannot make this up. He runs away from his master and ends up with the person that his master owes his life to. Now, a believer, Paul's sending Onesimus back. He's sending him back to Philemon, not as a slave, but as a brother. In the book of Philemon, Paul says this in verse 8, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart In Christ, useless men become useful men. That's the power of the gospel. It's the power of a life transformed by the blood of Jesus. Hopelessly useless to wonderfully useful. Onesimus was useless. He's a runaway. He's a deadbeat. He's a scoundrel. And he returns a regenerate not just useful for household chores anymore like he was when he left, but useful for kingdom work. Paul says in verse 9, and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. He doesn't describe him as Onesimus, the scoundrel that took off with your money. He doesn't uh, describe him and say, I'm sending him back, I'm sending back that deadbeat slave Onesimus to you. He says, I'm sending back Onesimus. He's faithful. He's our brother. He is one of us. According to Ignatius, one of the early church fathers, Onesimus is the overseer of the church of Ephesus. If this is the same Onesimus, we don't know, but I would say you can take a holy hunch and say that this is the same Onesimus, okay? Ignatius says he's the overseer of the church at Ephesus, which um, would mean this. He's the pastor of the church at Ephesus, which most likely gathered at Philemon's house. Only God. Only God. Only God makes that kind of stuff happen. I hope that Onesimus reminds you of someone. I hope that he reminds you of yourself, If you are in Christ, you are a regenerate runaway. We've stolen our master's treasure and we've headed for the pleasure of ourselves. At some point, though, we run smack into the truth of the gospel. We've left useless and we've returned useful. We left a scoundrel and we returned a beloved brother. The gospel leads the ruined sinner back to the welcoming master. That's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel does for you and I. The death, burial, and resurrection, useless to useful, ruined sinners back to welcoming master. I can imagine it would be very encouraging to have Onesimus around. Anyone who looked at him would know the power of the gospel. Do those around us see the work that the gospel has made in our life? Do those around us look at us like people would have looked at Onesimus and said, oh, look at Onesimus. Ruined sinner, welcomed back by his master for useful service. Onesimus is a living, breathing example of Colossians 3, put on the new self. You and I are the same example. Let's live that example well here's the next guy, Aristarchus. He's the burden bearer. Aristarchus. um, It won't take us long to talk about Aristarchus because we don't know much about him. He's a Jew with a Greek name. Uh, It was common because uh, it was common after the Jews were scattered for, uh, for them to have a Greek name. And so Aristarchus here, the name appears five times in scripture and not much is told about him, but we consistently see him in hardship with the apostle Paul. So he is the burden bearer. Paul says here in verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Uh, There's more to that statement when you read it, uh, when you read it in depth, though, and when you study a little bit about Aristarchus, that Uh, we might look at that and say, oh, my fellow prisoner greets you. Well, of course, Paul is in prison, and so I would assume there's other prisoners with him. So Aristarchus, yeah, you know, fellow prisoners waves hello, okay? He already made his phone call for the day, and so he wants to get into Paul's letter. Um, That's not the truth here. Here's what we need to understand about Aristarchus. Most scholars don't feel that Aristarchus was a fellow prisoner by way of criminal activity. Uh, not he wasn't there, uh, but he was there by choice uh, to be the companion of Paul. He was a practical prisoner. He had committed no crime. No one ever put him into prison, but he spent all of his time with the prisoner Paul. One commentator said, "If Paul's in prison, he's in prison." that's his choice. It's unlikely that he actually became a prisoner in Rome, more likely that he chose to make Paul's lifestyle his lifestyle because he was sympathetic, because he cared, because he loved, because he knew Paul needed him. He was a man with a sympathetic heart. Some of us will never stand up and speak eloquently about the Lord. Some of us will never hand over a six figure or a four figure check to the ministry which by the way depending on where you put the period you can write as many figures on there as you want to okay we're never going to turn over a six figure check to a ministry but look at the things that aristarchus teaches us you're not a fair weather friend you're not continu- you're continuously there pointing others back to the gospel when somebody needs the toilet cleaned. You joyfully raise your hand. You are there bearing the burden. Aristarchus was the burden bearer. He was there for Paul, and the work of the Lord needs people like that to accomplish his purposes. You can be an Aristarchus. Sometimes, again, we look at scripture, and we read these names, and we're like, these guys were just out of this world. And Aristarchus just says, no, I just put myself next to a prisoner, and I encouraged him, and I bore his burden. Here's Mark, and Mark is the relationship restored. After Aristarchus greets him, so does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. I love this, by the way. Uh, If you have read the book of Acts, you know about Mark. You know about John Mark. Um, You know a bit about him. Early on in the book of Acts and early on in Paul's ministry, he takes Mark along. And by chapter 13, as they enter the roughest parts of their journey headed towards Galatia, threat of robbers and murderers made Mark think twice. It says, and John, that's Mark, departing from there, returned to Jerusalem he abandoned ship. He left mission. He went back home. As Paul prepares for his second missionary journey, Barnabas says, hey, we should take Mark along with us. And Paul says, are you kidding me? The guy abandoned us. He left us. What good is he to us? And you know that there was contention there. Paul and Barnabas did not see eye to eye, and what ends up happening is they split off, and Paul goes with Silas, and Barnabas goes with Mark. The end of his life, though, Mark is with Paul. He's united for the sake of the gospel. Obviously, something had changed in Mark's life, and I would say that something had changed in Paul's life as well. If we turned over to 2 Timothy 4, we'd see this, that... uh, Paul says, only Luke is with me. Only Luke is left. Take Mark and bring him with you, for he's profitable to me for the ministry. This is a relationship restored. Jesus does that. The gospel does that. It restores wrongs, it bonds relationships, and it forgives debts. I want to suggest to you uh, as a believer this morning, um, what relationship needs to be restored in your life? And can you trust God to restore that relationship? Can you trust that the blood of Jesus can cover the wrong that maybe has been done to you? Through the power that lives in you by the Holy Spirit, you might need to forgive someone sitting a few rows in front of you. Or you may need to ask forgiveness from the person sitting a few rows back from you. This is the church. These are the kind of people that Paul wanted around him. You might also sit here and think that you've really blown it in ministry. I think Mark probably would have felt that way at some point. You may sit here and go, man, I have Messed it up. I knew when God said this that He meant that I needed to do this, and I didn't, I wasn't obedient. I didn't do it. How can God make use of me? And I want to encourage you with the example of Mark this morning that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God qualifies all of us, even if we've completely walked away when things got tough. The church and this church should be a beautiful picture of restored relationships because of the restored relationship that we have with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> nowhere on this planet should forgiveness look purer than in the church because we know what it looks like to be forgiven. We know what it looks like to be Onesimus run, running away from our master and then being brought back in. So nowhere should it look purer than here. The next one is Justice. He's the committed comforter. Which, by the way, if you're having a boy anytime soon, the name Justice is awesome, okay? Like, just, I don't know, the middle, maybe even a middle name, okay? Uh, But he's given the name Justice to differentiate him from Jesus the Savior. Uh, You might say that he lived up to the name, uh, though, because Justice actually means righteous. So what they're calling him is Jesus the Righteous. Uh, Jesus would have been a common Uh, would have been a common name, but uh, he's Jesus the righteous. Uh, He was a Jew like Paul, and Paul even said that Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice are the only Jews who are still with him. Aristarchus and Mark had been with Paul for a very long time, but it seems that Justice hasn't been there with him that long. Uh, Justice is new to, uh, to Paul's ministry team. We don't know a lot about him, again, with the exception here that he's a Jew and that he was a great comfort to Paul. Many scholars believe that justice may have come to faith out of the, the group in Acts 28 where there was disagreement with, Paul's, with Paul and the Jews in Rome. Uh, that, that would have been an extraordinarily difficult decision for him to make, to be the only, the only Jew there to side with Paul. Paul. Um, it would have taken great commitment to the things embedded in all of the book of Colossians to leave the comfort of the Jewish believers and walk away to follow Paul. It says that along with Aristarchus and Mark, they were a great comfort to Paul. The word here means that they were like a salve or they soothed Paul's pain. They were there to lessen Paul's pain. These men were soothing to Paul in his imprisonment. This man was a presence to the comfort of Paul, perhaps most of all because he was willing to pay the price to be a true disciple. He was like Paul. He knew what it looked like to deny himself and take up his cross and follow the Lord Jesus, despite what his religious background would tell him. I believe Justice and the other two were soothing to Paul because they were so much like Paul. And they were so much like Paul in his own past. <clears throat> I say this, are you committed to the Lord Jesus? Are you committed? <clears throat> and we don't want to brush by that like, oh yeah, like I just gave I gave my life to Christ when I was seven. No, are you committed? Are you committed that despite... Um, you know, uh, your upbringing, despite what others say or think, despite your own dreams and wants, you will follow the Lord Jesus. That's the example of justice. And then next, are you comforting to others who will do the same? Are you comforting to others? Justice was a comforter to Paul because he was so committed to Jesus. You know how it is when you're around people who are committed to Jesus. They're a comfort to you. They're sooth- it's soothing to be in the company of people who are just sold out to the Lord. Do that for others. Do that for others in this church. I told you there was a lot of names in here, okay? Next, we've got Epaphras, who's the loving shepherd. The loving shepherd. It says in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. He's the founder and pastor of the church here uh, to the Colossians. And if he's the pastor, we might think to ourselves, what in the world is he doing in Rome with Paul? Paul's saying, like, <clears throat> he's greeting you, so he's with Paul. Why is he in Rome? He's, uh, he has made his way to Rome to tell Paul of what's happening in Colossae. That there are false teachers, that there are people who are believing a false gospel. He's struggling for you in his prayers. He's working hard for you. The word here is actually pain. He is paining for you. He struggles and hurt for you. He's made this trip to Rome because he is anguished for these people. And he is anguished for the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. He's fighting for the Colossians to believe in the supremacy of Christ, to have biblical marriages and family, to reject the old man and live in the new man, He's like Jesus sweating drops of blood in the garden, praying earnestly for the will of the Father. There are a couple camps out there that will uh, tell you a couple uh, different sides of a coin here. I think it's right to address it here when we talk about Epaphras. One camp would say, eat, drink, and be merry, because Christ has already paid for it all. Eat, drink, and be merry. We're covered under the blood of Jesus and another camp would say, good works, good works, good works, good works, because at the end of the day, we have to earn it. <clears throat> and I think what Epaphras, when Paul says he works hard, I think there's a statement by Ray Ortland that I think captures this, because sometimes when we see the words work hard in Scripture, we think that it's just works-based. Uh, that. Uh, our justification is based on what we do. Ray Ortland says this, the gospel is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. We don't earn anything by our yearning, our hard work, it says in the text, by our zeal that's true, that the true gospel might be known, and our good works put forth so that it is made known. We're not earning a thing here. Epaphras wasn't earning anything by his hard work on their behalf. But I will say this if God has truly laid hold of your heart, you will evidence, you will evidence that by your agonizing in prayer for the things of God and the people of God. You will, you will work hard. There will be effort, not earning, but effort. Do you struggle on behalf of others in prayer? Are you, Do you work hard for those around you to be mature and fully assured? Epaphras did, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we should as well. Do you yearn that your brothers and sisters in this church would grow into maturity? Does it pain you when you see somebody stall out in their growth towards Christ? It should. Here's Luke. He's the gifted professional. It says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Luke had a very specific skill to offer, didn't he? You know what he was. He's a doctor. He's a physician. Uh, I think much of Paul's life, uh, Luke was his personal f- physician. Uh, MacArthur says he's interesting, uh, it's interesting to note that on Paul's first missionary journey, he was sick all the time. And it's interesting to note that when he went on his second journey, he took Luke. (laughs) He felt the need of a personal doctor, and he took Luke along. It's also no coincidence that Luke is now with Paul in his imprisonment. In the winter of Paul's life, Paul's dying in 2 Timothy, and he says, Only Luke is with me. Not only was he Paul's doctor, but he was his trusted and beloved friend. Luke was very gifted. He was specialized. He was a physician. He's not a seminary graduate or a biblical scholar, although I would say he probably knows a little bit about the gospel of Luke and probably Acts as well. Um, You'll get that one later, I promise, okay? But he's a physician. He's using the skills that God has given him to be useful in the kingdom, When he turned over his profession to the Lord, God gave him an even greater blessing. You can be the greatest doctor in the world, have the most money, all that, and it's a hill of beans compared to what the blessing of the Lord can be when you turn that over to the Lord, when you turn over the gifts and abilities that he's given you. Greg Gilbert, love his writings says in the book, uh, The Gospel at Work, he says, uh, who you work for is more important than what you do. There is no greater reward in the universe than what Jesus gives to those who work for him. I've got to think there's quite a few Lukes in this congregation. Group of this size, that there's quite a few of you. How will you use the training you have, that specialized gift, That God has given you, the platform, we could even say, for ministry. How will you use that? How will you use it for the Lord? Luke used his to be of comfort to Paul. Who you work for is more important than what you do, Gilbert says, but I would change it when we read about Luke to what you do matters. It really does. What you do matters, but who you do it for really matters. Here's Demas. He's the last guy we're going to talk about, okay? So for those of you who are holding your breath to this point, okay, he's the last guy. Demas, he's the worldly disciple. We read here that Demas sends his greeting uh, along with Luke there. He sends his greeting, and we can make the assumption that he's valuable to ministry. He's a part of Paul's ministry here. Um the end of Philemon, Paul calls Demas my fellow worker. If you flip over to 2 Timothy, though, 4.9 tells us this. Paul says, do your diligence to come shortly to me, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and departed to Thessalonica. Demas has abandoned Paul, the one who has discipled him. I just want to pause quickly and simply and just say this, that some of the hardest part of being in the church is when someone we love and someone we invest in and someone we care about walks away from the very things we may have taught them. It's hard when we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. when we are called to invest in others, when someone leaves that For the world. Some of the saddest commentary I can give you is some of the students that I've had the privilege of literally pouring my life into at Lancaster Bible College who um, have decided that the world is more important to them than the Savior. Some of the heartbreak of the ministry that I do every day. The gospel is just sour vinegar to some. It will send some away. Some might have a taste for it for a little while, but the call of the gospel will send them away and the world will pull them away. What we need to learn from Demas is that God even uses people and situations of hardship to further his work. God used Demas for a short time in the life of Paul, and then Demas went on to live for the world. And so sometimes we'll see a worldly disciple. It's hard. It's hard. It's why we need to be fervent in prayer for them. So how do we land the book of Colossians? You've been spending the last two months in Colossians. How do, you, how do we land it? Verse 15 says, give, me, uh, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Paul's giving his final instructions here. Tell the Laodiceans, I said, hello, Nympha and the church and her house as well. And when you're done reading this and copying it down for yourself, swap letters with the Laodiceans. They need to hear this and you need to hear what I've written them then he says something to Archippus, but I believe he could have said it to any one of us in this church or in the church. See that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. See that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. Right on the heels of all of these great examples, all but one so faithful to the ministry. You see the fervent servant, the regenerate runaway, the burden bearer, the restored relationship, committed comforter. You see that loving shepherd in Epaphras and the gifted professional in Luke. He says, Now be faithful. Understand what it is that God's calling you to do for the sake of the gospel and see to it that you fulfill that ministry. See to it, Archippus. You know. You know. I'm so glad we don't do it alone. I'm so glad. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven tells us, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Paul didn't do it alone, but in the presence of other members of the church, he accomplished the will of God. We also don't do it in our own strength. And I'm so thankful for that because I know myself so well. Only Jesus can flip things upside down like that. Only Jesus can make a slave run home to his master. Only Jesus could make Paul welcome back a deserter like John Mark. And only Jesus could make Luke walk away from a career to spend his life with an imprisoned Paul. It's because of the supremacy of Christ the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation the head of the body the firstborn from the dead the one in whom the fullness of god was pleased to dwell through him to reconcile all things the one in whom we are rooted and built up the one in whom god made a, uh, the one in whom god made us alive though we were once dead that if we are raised with him We may seek the things above where he's seated. We may mortify sin and live for righteousness. Only through him can we submit to our husbands. Can we love our wives? Can we obey our parents? Because of him, we should continue steadfastly in prayer and walk in wisdom. And through him, we are the church, seeking to fulfill the ministry that we have received in the Lord. Apart from Christ, there is no hope for that. Apart from the gospel, which changes everything, there is no hope for that. It's the power to change, the gospel has the power to change you and change me before we walk out the doors of this sanctuary today. Paul ends his book, this letter. He ends it with some words that we might just scoot past he says this, grace be with you. Grace be with you. This isn't a, this isn't the ending of an email. Um, Those words meant something and they mean something. It's not cliche. It's a reminder of how radical grace is. Some of you need that grace right now to live like the people in this passage. You need the grace of the Lord Jesus to give you strength to reconcile a relationship. You need that grace to have the humility to be a comforter or that grace, the grace that it will take to use your profession for God's glory. If that's you, I want to encourage you to pray for that grace. And it's already in you because of Jesus. And then some of you need that grace right now for salvation. The forgiveness of your sins that's only yours through Jesus Christ. Without believing that Jesus is the only way to salvation, you forfeit the grace that could be yours. Do you believe the gospel? What Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 is of first importance. What I received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That we were buried. That He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day, in accordance with the Scripture. Oh, believe it. Believe that. I think there's going to be some people up here after we're done, and if that's you for the first time today, I would encourage you to come up and pray with someone. But this is the church. How do we live like that? How do you live like that? How do I live like that? Let's pray. Oh God, what a monumental task. We could never think to do it on ourselves or by ourselves. We could never think to do it without you. Lord, thank you for the gift of the gospel that through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son Jesus, we not only have salvation but we have identity in this body, this body, the church. You have given us incredible purpose as well. Lord, thanks for these, my friends, those whom I love greatly. I pray that you challenge each one of us to live um, and do the will of God. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Thank you, Scott. Uh, Thanks for an insightful look into ordinary people who gave themselves for the furtherance of the gospel. Um, I was just thinking those men and the people that you talked about seem a whole lot like a church. And, um, and we are a church uh, serving each other. Um, if you're attending and you're not involved, please plug in. Get involved, and you'll, you'll realize um, there's depth of relationships that you'll find in serving with each other, for each other, that you will not find if you just come on Sunday uh, and listen to a sermon. So please, we want to get to know you. We want you to help, uh, and we want to serve you, and we want you to serve with us in this body of believers. Let's stand, and we'll be closed in prayer. Father, again, thank you for Scott. Thank you for his message. Uh, Help us to work fervently in the furtherance of the gospel. Help us to live out our faith around those uh, outside of the walls of the church. Bring us again safely again next week, and I pray that we may celebrate uh, in your love all week long. In Jesus' name, amen.